0: When I joined the club three years ago, it went to Totonham for the first time, wow. I mean, it's, that's a cathedral of rugby that is. What, what a stadium that is. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the rugby channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Last weekend was possibly the most controversial in Formula One for reasons unattached to racing. A rocket attack by Houthi Rebels, seven miles from the track in Jeddah, uh, caused talks after talks after talks on Friday evening before the end result being that there was a decision to continue racing. But that decision didn't exactly entirely go down well with all involved in the Formula One paddock. Uh, talking to us this evening about this and to look at the ramifications for last weekend is Rebecca Clancy the motor racing correspondent for the Times Rebecca you're very welcome back to the show
1: Thank you for
0: having me uh, Any time at all uh, First of all what a weird weekend it, I, I, it got the feeling that it almost it overshadowed pretty much everything that went on in terms of the race what looked set up to be a, a pretty big weekend for Ferrari ended up being uh, another Max Verstappen victory but events on Friday really superseded everything that went on because I, I, I was watching the news rolling in on Friday evening and I couldn't believe that the, first of all the attack was so close and second of all there seemed to be such a relaxed atmosphere from Formula One organisers from the likes of Stefano Dominicali that they were just saying it's grand we've got assurances that everything's going to be fine we'll yeah. race on how uncomfortable was it in and around the sport to continue on last weekend e-
1: extremely uncomfortable and this race will not be remembered for who won it for any battles that happened on track it will purely be remembered for that missile that was fired just east of the track as you say within 10 miles um, by houthi rebels in yemen they claimed responsibility uh, about 25 minutes into first practice it, it was a bizarre sight to see the cars going round and then just a huge plume of black smoke in the distance and there was even a point during that practice session where Max Verstappen asked if his car was burning and he was asking what the smell was, but it was actually, you could smell the oil burning in the air that was drifting over the circuit. That's how close it was. It was It was not a great look for F1 at all. If you uh, anyone uh, must really like F1 watched practice, uh, cause it's not very interesting normally. <laughs> um, you could just see the cameras were zooming in closer and closer and closer on the cars and not paying any attention to the skyline. Um, and then as you say, then uh, the meeting started happening. So Formula One were quick to react because quite frankly, they had no other choice. Stefano Domenicali, the F1 CEO, he said uh, he called all of the team principals and all of the drivers into a meeting. The drivers made clear their feelings pretty quickly after the first practice session, that they weren't very happy. And um, so they got called into this meeting. It delayed second practice by 15 minutes. Uh, second practice did go ahead in one of the most bizarre sites I think everyone will, will ever know. Um, shortly after a missile attack they were back on track as if nothing had happened um, and then there was a second emergency meeting after that practice session that was with all of the team bosses the fia f1 there were local authorities involved all 20 drivers were involved the team principals came out of that meeting and said that the race was going ahead the question was asked if all the drivers agreed uh that was brushed away shall we say not quite answered yeah. and then we had the extraordinary sight of The drivers have a Friday meeting with the race director every Friday night. It's very normal driver's briefing. That happened. Niels Vittich, who's the race director, last weekend, he left that meeting and all 20 drivers stayed in the room and they carried on talking for hours and the hours ticked by. And as it got to about one o'clock in the morning, they'd been in there for three hours. Some of the drivers were still in their race suits because they'd come straight from uh, second practice. About one o'clock, Stefano Di Melicali goes back into the room to try and convince them to race. And from what I understand, at about half one, so shortly after Stefano has actually left that room in the end, the drivers were unanimous that they were not racing that weekend. Then we saw the team principals going into the meeting. And the next thing we know, it's 2.30 and we're being told that racing will go ahead. So what conversation happened with the team principals? Some of them have come out and said, well, we just gave them the assurances that we were given by the local authorities, which were that." the local authorities had their families there, no-one was moving them away, so we're happy if they're happy. Um, There was a strange conversation happening about how the track was safe because Saudi Arabia had a really good anti-missile system in place, um, which I very much do not think is a good look for Formula 1 to be racing in places that is relying on anti-missile systems to keep us safe. Uh, And so, we just arrived on Saturday morning as if nothing had happened. Um, Press conferences went ahead with the team principals then we had qualifying and then we had the race as if as if it was all fine but even when qualifying happened you could still see the smoke in the distance on the Saturday afternoon Saturday evening um very bizarre definitely definitely overshadowed, overshadowed what was otherwise a very good race
0: um was it was it just purely based on the information that was being fed to the uh, team principals from both FIA from from uh, Domenicali and, and people in charge of Formula One, and then obviously the Saudi authorities, that was informing the decision to keep going. And and how, like those arguments must have been pretty convincing if the drivers went from unanimously against racing to okay, I guess I guess we'll move on. Like from a personal point of view, like obviously I don't have the bravery to drive a car at one hundred miles an hour around a track, and um, never mind the bravery to keep racing and keep uh, stay within seven miles of a rocket attack during a fairly. Uh, continuous and ongoing uh, you know, a, a confrontation in terms of military between Saudi Arabia and Yemen and being almost on the front line of that, being forced on the front line of that as they were, they must have taken some convincing and I'd, I'd love to know what those conversations were and, and whether we'll ever hear the full contents of them.
1: Uh, you, you and me both, Richie, I'd love to know what was said <laughs> because there, was, there were some claims about some bullying, there were some unfounded claims that the local authorities had said that they would make it difficult for anyone to leave. They said if any team's there were reports that apparently if any teams left, the Saudis would block any freight trying to leave and head to Australia, which is the next race. I spoke to several people about that. I'm told that that is not the case, but we won't ever actually know. And we're actually in a very strange position that the only people on the ground who knew what the security measures were, were the F1 bosses, the FIA bosses, mm. the team principals and the drivers. None of the information, none of the detail about how the track was being kept safe has actually been released hasn't been given out we still don't know f1 have said that they are basically having talks with the local authorities and um, from what i understand some of the information is quite sensitive and secure and so they are trying to convince the local authorities to actually let them say something which would be reassuring um, but, yeah, it, it's a really strange situation when you've got 2,000 people in this F1 travelling circus that go all around the world together, and only a very small number have got all the information, if, if indeed they do even have all the information, but they certainly have a lot more than than others, and so yes, I would very much love to know what those conversations were. Um, I suspect that we won't.
0: Like that's that's a really interesting point that you raised there, because obviously the two, like it's a big circus uh, that picks up its tent every couple of weeks and and plunks down in a different part of the world, and usually they're they're you know, relatively safe. In this instance, like you mentioned, they're relying on anti rocket. Uh, missiles to uh, protect the track which is mind blowing and you want to know uh, when they're going to come into effect and you hope they don't and if they do do we even keep racing then and second of all like what do what do you and your colleagues make of all this and uh, especially if you were you know kept in the dark uh, comparatively to those who are racing on the track
1: well it's a strange one because there was a couple of comments made by certain um senior bosses saying well this is just the culture so when we were in bahrain for the first race of the season that's <laughs> the sunday race there was a missile that hit in saudi and jeddah where the race is in saudi arabia yeah. and there was a source of a thought of gosh like that's only a week forward we used to go racing there like is everything okay and the talk afterwards was well this is just this is the culture that they live in and This war with that Saudi Arabia-led coalition in Yemen with the Houthi rebels, this has been going on for seven years now. So when Formula One signed the contract initially to host 10 years of a race there, they knew what was going on. They knew exactly the situation. Missiles dropping within Saudi are not uncommon. And one of the lines that we were being fed is that the Houthi rebels only target infrastructure. They do not target civilians. But You cannot help but think in the back of your mind, well, wouldn't it make a statement if they changed their tactics just while F1 is there? Um, And that's a really uncomfortable thought, a really, really deeply uncomfortable thought. Because if you think about the British Grand Prix, for example, if a missile dropped within 10 miles, there is absolutely no way that weekend would have continued. There is no other track on the calendar, and there are 23 of them this year, that I can think of. That the race would have gone ahead, and so to say that it was just the culture, and this is what they live with, and this is what happens in that region, for me, isn't a good enough reason to have continued with the weekend, and and I think it's one of F one's darkest weekends that they've pushed ahead with it. It's a,
0: it's a really disturbing, um, I guess, outlook to say that rocket attacks and back and forth with with Yemen in terms of. Um, you know, military strikes, etc., etc., is part of a culture. It's not part of a culture. This this is a, a conflict that shouldn't be uh, continuing, and one that a country that shouldn't be indulged as it continues it in in, in Saudi Arabia. But as you say, like it's almost a case of money talks. They're getting fifty million dollars a year for this race. Now, f- Formula One and motorsports before have pivoted when you know the, the the wind has been blowing against them. You think back to, it's a completely different scenario, but it's just one involving money. Their sponsorships, like the the it, like I'm old enough to remember, obviously, um, tobacco sponsorships and alcohol sponsorships. And when it was decided that they weren't a good idea, they eventually moved away from them. Now, granted, there would have been a bit of opposition, obviously, to that because it's guaranteed money. Yeah. Similarly, there must be a swell, particularly amongst really influential drivers and, and Lewis Hamilton is obviously jumping out of this one because of his comments that you know book end of the weekend there has to be a bit of a pushback at some stage against these kind of races under these kind of regimes because it's it, it this is the very essence of sports washing is saying um you know it's a rocket attack but it's seven miles away they don't target they don't target infrastructure they don't target um people we'll just continue yeah. to race on normalizing that kind of stuff is just bizarre and, and really disturbing.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, it's sports washing in the most blatant degree, isn't it? I mean, quite literally washing your laundry, hanging it out for everybody to see. It it's disturbing in the sense of before we went racing in Bahrain, the drivers came together and they stood in front of a sign which said "No War," and it was referring to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And we know what happened. As soon as that was that the invasion started, Formula One came out and they said we will not be Russia, we will not be racing in Russia this year. And that's their end of conversation. And then a couple of days later, they said, we're never going back to Russia. Contract has been terminated. So we know Formula One has it within them to do the right thing and to cancel contracts. And then we have this bizarre moment where sort of, I think it was even 10 days later, we are racing in what is effectively a war zone. And so you sort of think, well, does no war just come with an asterisk that's, if it's in Europe? And then we don't go ahead with it. But if it's in the Middle East and they're paying us 50 million a year, then perhaps we'll just make sure everything's okay. And you're right, the the drivers have come out now and they've, they've made it quite clear that they want to have discussions about where we go racing in the future. They want to be part of F1's discussions. But I can absolutely say with fair amount of certainty that while they may be indulged mm. and their ideas may be listened to, F1 is going back to Saudi. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, to be honest. Um, I wish I was wrong. I would love to be wrong um but i think that they will continue because they keep peddling the line and we get this with every sport we get it with you look at football going to qatar this year i mean we we go to bahrain formula one's been there since 2004 every single year i write about human rights abuses um so i'm not sure it is improving like they're saying but sport pedals this line that because we're there we can make a difference we can we can enact change. We can move these societies forward. We can make them more Western, I suppose, in the way that they think about things. And we can make them more um, more about equality and more liberal. And so that they aren't executing 81 men in one day, which is what happened in Saudi earlier this month. And I don't think that's good enough. Uh, and I wrote about it at the time that the deal was announced. And I said it's a 10 year deal with Saudi. And I said, that's fine if. Formula One, if sport is making a difference, if it is opening up society and making it fairer for everybody. I think every contract in these places should come with a clause, a break clause, where I don't know how you measure it. People far cleverer than me can come up with that. But I think there should be some sort of break clause where you say, "Okay, we're not seeing the change that we expected. These are still the conversations that are going on. And because of that, we can no longer hold our sporting event in your country and I think that's far more powerful than every year just promising that you're going to turn up and take the money
0: would you feel comfortable covering a race there next year
1: (sighs) yes probably because all well there are two parts to this question in terms of security I probably would feel safe because Mm. um I'm told it is a very good anti-missile system, um, but I have other issues for why I don't feel very comfortable in the country. And uh, I, I, I agree with Lewis Hamilton, as you, you sort of mentioned, he bookend the weekend with his comments saying, and when we were there in December for the inaugural race, he said, I don't feel comfortable racing here. Um, I agree with him for all the same reasons. Uh, he said he, on the Friday before the, before the, actually the missile struck, the driver spoke just before practice. He said he, nothing had changed for him. The sentiment was the same. And then at the end of the weekend, he said, I just want to go home. And that's pretty much how everyone in the paddock felt. So um, it's a two pronged question, I suppose, in that sense. But my overriding feeling is I'd I'd rather not go back.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, uh, I think to have conflicted views about it is is probably fair because there is a journalistic element to this whereby it's a story and, you know, it's your sport and you want to cover it. But again, you're relying on an an anti aircraft missile system Mm -hmm. at a racetrack, which is uh, not something that they have at Silverstone, at least not yet, anyway.
1: No. And I have a small child who, you know, I don't want to put myself in harm's way. I'm not a war correspondent. Mm. You know, I, I do sport. That's that's my job. I shouldn't be putting myself in danger like that.
0: I don't think the fact that you're even treading that line shows where Formula One is at the moment and probably needs to retreat back from that line if it has, I guess, any kind of, of conscience. But then again, we're talking about big money sport. And that's another story for another day. Uh, Rebecca Clancy from the Times. It's an absolute pleasure as always to have you on the show. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.